Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to LPD Cast. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia, and I'm very happy to be back with you all after a much needed fall break. The last quarter of the year was exhausting. Fall 2021 was our first semester back in person at university since the onset of the pandemic, and I was blissfully unaware of how taxing going back would be. When I envisioned going back, I pictured life pre-pandemic. Silly of me, I know. But to be honest, I wasn't intentionally being delusional. I think like most people, I just want all of this to be resolved. Suffice to say, I successfully completed my penultimate semester of undergrad at CSUSB. And I'm happy to be just around the corner from graduation. It's been a wonderful journey, and I'm grateful you all have been with me since the beginning. As challenging as the transition back in person was, I hit the ground running and accomplished some milestones I'd like to share with you. I, along with three other students, created the Pride Pack, which is the current LGBTQIA student organization at CSUSB. This might seem like a simple accomplishment, but anyone who's chartered a student org will tell you otherwise. And community building can be challenging, but it's absolutely necessary. I also recorded my first TEDx talk, titled Perseverance Pays Off, which you can watch on my Instagram and on the TEDx YouTube channel. In five minutes, I share the importance and value of perseverance, and I provide tools that will help you along the way. My TED talk is an extension of the book I'm writing with the same title. And fun fact, our dear friend Francisco Rodriguez was on the team that made TEDx CSUSB possible. Thank you, dear friend. And listeners, make sure you check out episodes 5 and 6 to learn more about Francisco and the essentials in preparing for a master's program. Personally, one of the best months of the year was Pride Month, naturally. For Pride, I was featured on the Cal State University website for their 30 Days of Pride. I was featured alongside the mayor of the city of Long Beach, Dr. Robert Garcia, author, activist, and professor Sally Gearhart, activists and alumni of San Diego State, Amber St. James, among many others. Being featured was an honor and a pleasure. Also during Pride Month, I had the opportunity of collaborating with friend of LPD cast, Fernando Vélez. Fernando sat with the Pride Pack to discuss his company, Craven Comics, and the amazing LGBTQIA superhero universe he created with the series Class 6. Big thanks to everyone at Craven Comics for your support of LPD Cast and the Pride Pack. And make sure you check out episode 21 to learn more about Fernando and the Craven Comics universe. The last milestone I'll share with you all today was being chosen for university wide student feature. Dear friend of LPD Cast and former CSUSB Associate Director of Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. Chaco, nominated me, and luckily I was chosen. As someone who works in production behind the scenes, the idea of being in front of the camera was terrifying. But working with Robert and Corinne from Stratcom was a pleasure. They cared for me and created a truly wonderful feature. You can watch it on the Cal State San Bernardino YouTube channel, and I'll link the video in the show notes as well. These are some of the completed projects of the last year and I'm happy to share them with you. But I'd love to hear what you all have been working on. Reach out on Instagram at LPDCast. As we've learned from our dear friend, Dr. Anita, reflection is vital to our growth, and celebrating our accomplishments is an important habit to practice. If we don't show up for ourselves, how can we expect others to show up for us? 
which leads us to sharing some of our favorite moments of season one. My conversation with Maya in episode 23 was truly lovely. I enjoy every opportunity to chat with them. Maya's experience and passion for helping students in higher education makes them the perfect person for their role as the Associate Dean of Student Services at Mount San Jacinto College. Let's listen to a clip from episode 23. For higher ed practitioners to question, to improve, to problematize the systems we work and live in, can you talk to us about the why? Well, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think because it's life and death. And I hate to be yes. so, you know, um, succinct and kind of so dramatic, I suppose. But I, I think it's true. You know, when you work with the students that we work with, with students who are at, in many ways, the margins of society, you know, our students who do not have homes, our students who are hungry, um, our students who are undocumented, our students who are queer and identify all those spaces, who just, you know, navigate just living, right? And we also serve other students that have privilege, you know, that are just simply trying to get an education because it's more affordable. However, those students can also have mental health issues, right? Because of just the world that we are navigating today. Uh, there's a lot more to navigate. I think that's why it's so important. I think we, you know, we're in a unique position in the community college system because of the broadness of students that we serve, that we owe it to them to consistently be in a state of change and flux. And that's why working in our system can be exhausting quite honestly, because there's the rub is that you have a school of thought who, you know, let's be honest, it's easier to stay the same. <laughs> it is. It's just, it's easier. You can be comfortable. You know, you will still educate students. Um, you know, I've said this before. I think our students who have been able to navigate the systems and survive do so oftentimes without our help, if we're being honest. In fact, I've said this before, they navigate despite us, because of how many barriers we tend to put in front of students and higher ed in general. And so I think for us to constantly question and try to, you know, unpack rather our systems, it's a lot of work, but it's necessary if we're really going to be doing what we say we want to do, which is change lives. This next clip is from episode 27 with Junior Peña. I chose to highlight this episode because we discuss student advocacy and allyship. And I think Junior embodies the epitome of an ally. He's an educated cis straight male who is self-aware and uses his powers for good. <laughs> Check out this clip of episode 17. What advice do you have for people who are aspiring to become advocates for student success or work in student affairs? This is going to seem kind of like a basic response, so I will hold myself <laughs> accountable to that, but it's not. I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate for sure. So there's two things. One is stay in your lane. And so people take this in a very negative way. I actually mean this in the most positive of ways possible. And what I mean by stay in your lane is understand what you're really good at, understand what you're really passionate about, and understand what it is that you absolutely want to do and pursue that. I think oftentimes we lose sight of that and try to do way too much. We overwhelm ourselves and then we don't have capacity or ability to do anything well. Do what you're good at really, really well. And if that means you're doing it in a different capacity, that is okay too. It doesn't mean that you constantly have to be the one organizing a space, the one creating critical dialogues, the one facilitating training and development. I need educators and I hope educators 
people all across the country and world understand that if you work in financial aid, if you work in uh, retail, if you work in criminal justice, if you work in health policy, I want and need you to know why it's important to support people. I want you to know why it's important to be deliberate about how you create space for others. I want you to know how beautiful a connection you can make with someone when you actually honor their identities, when you center how they actually want to be addressed. Like it just changes the game. And so I think for me, stay in your lane and have that be your thing, right? Like it doesn't have to be for everyone. I think Oftentimes we make decisions with other people in mind. So if you're focused on what you can do, what you're passionate about, and what you want to change, I think you'll be able to make some beautiful things happen. So I think that that's like the biggest piece of advice I would have. And then I think paired with that is understand your why, because oftentimes you're going to be working alongside people and having to build coalitions alongside people that you might not really mess with. I'm going to be honest with you, right? And so if you know your purpose, you know your why, and you can have that centered in the work that you're doing, you'll be able to do it for a lot longer time, especially when you're undoubtedly going to hit those ruts and potentially burn out at times. That why can reinvigorate your process. My conversation with Jose de Jesus Gil is full of insightful gems, and he is the prime example of how being an open-minded and engaged student on campus can lead to a fulfilling profession. Here's a clip from episode 20. I think that academics is so important, right? And that is a focus that every student should have when they're in college or in a university. But I think one of the great things that students can take advantage of their space and time in higher ed is really being active in the community that they're in. Take part and find a group organization or a club that has the same interests as you. Because that plays into a couple of things, right? That plays into your, you finding your community, you finding your friends, you finding things that you'd like to do, but that also helps you persist through college, right? So I think that you can do that very well. And also take advantage of all of the offerings that the college or universities are, are presenting you. Be part of that conference that student engagement and activities is putting together, right? Go to tutoring, seek a mentor, right? You have to look at the additional student support services that are available to you because those things are available for you in order to help you succeed in this educational journey that you're about to embark in. We as higher education practitioners don't do our work just because we want to. It's because there's a need for that work to be done. And we need for those students to take advantage of that work that is being done, right? That's one thing I would say that students can take advantage of when they're in this space called higher ed. Given the fact that there are a lot of students who are self-sufficient, right? But having an open mind as to everything that is being given to you that most likely is a free service that could benefit you it's life-changing. So it's that whole notion of learning to leverage your status as a student to right. gain access to resources or to spaces that otherwise you'd have to pay for or otherwise would be, would be unattainable. That's how I ended up in my career. I one day got an email saying, we're hiring for RAs. 
for resident advisors through the housing department. And I was like, mm, the advantage is that I'm going to get my housing paid for and my meal plan paid for. I don't have money. <laughs> Let me take advantage of this. I applied, went through a couple of sessions and ultimately got it and then really understood what the work of student affairs is, is to provide guidance and mentoring to our students so they can succeed. And I said, oh, wow, I really want to do this myself. Mind you, like I said earlier, I was wanting to be a lawyer in pre-law, yeah. right? I have a completely different undergrad degree than what I actually am enforcing as my career. But if I didn't take advantage of those opportunities while I was an undergrad, you know, I probably would not be where I am right now. So it's about being open to those to those opportunities and resources. In episode 21, Fernando shared how he and his partner established their international company and created a lifeline for communities in Venezuela that were in dire need. When I think of community building in action, I think of Fernando and the Craven Comics team. Let's take a listen to this clip. Could you talk to us about why you decided to create your company, Craven Comics? So I always have passion for writing since I was little, and I used to own an LGBTQ uh, magazine. And one of my writers did an article about the misrepresentation in the comic book industry. So I thought about like, wow, we're everywhere in entertainment, but where we're behind the scenes, like why don't we have heroes that represent who we are, the way we are? So I decided, you know, these have to come from the community and not some big company. So that's when I said, you know what, I'm gonna close the magazine and I'm going to focus in the comic book because I wanted to send a message that anybody can be a hero. From what I understand, you two do a lot of community building in Venezuela. Why is that important to you? Can you talk to us about that situation? Yeah, so my partner is from Venezuela. So the situation has affected us uh, closely. And we decided that we don't need much to become heroes to, you know, to help the community. Um, when I was, everything started because when I was little, my older brother died of cancer. So my parents, they started every holiday to raise funds to bring toys for the kids that were dying. And I remember... One time, uh, a mom comes down crying saying, thank you, because my son died playing with your toys. And that really impacted because it didn't took much. You know, everybody donated a little bit here, a little bit there, and we were able to do something like that. And it really impacted my life in a way that I really care about community. We don't need much to impact people's life. And also we prepare bags with food items that we took to like single mothers who live by themselves with the kids. Honestly, like, I believe that that's my life purpose. It's like, you know, I measure success not by how much you have, but how many people's lives you can change. And I think that's something that it reflects in the company. We also did it through Craven because we wanted to show people, because Venezuela can be very homophobic. I want to tell them, like, look, you're suffering, but who is here helping you? It's a gay man. It's a gay people. The community is helping you, even though you reject them. So it's kind of like a wake-up call for a lot of them to change the way that they look at us. And I think that was very important to do as well. So how did that community building involve into your current team at Craven Comics? So we wanted to continue to help, but at the same time, we were like, 
if we just keep helping like these, we are actually, it can, it can affect the communities where people get comfortable and don't want to do more. So we decided that we needed to create something more sustainable. Uh, back then, we were studying the comic book here. And his sister said, why don't you start hiring artists here? And we're like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. We can give chances to Latin artists that don't have those opportunities in Venezuela to do what they love, live comfortable. And like that, we're actually doing a better job than always just helping. Yeah, it just started like we started with three artists and now we're like 15. <laughs> They're our family. And through them, we are able to continue to help the community because, you know, there are different parts of Venezuela. So whenever they know someone who is desperately in need of something, we're always there for them. It's amazing how how evolved to to have our team there and I just love them so much. <laughs> They're like our family. One of my favorite episodes is Overcoming Imposter Syndrome with Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin. This episode is full of information that is essential to overcoming imposter syndrome. I recommend buying the book Dr. Lisa co-wrote with her husband, Dr. Richard Orbe Austin. The book is titled Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt, and Succeed in Life. Let's take a listen to a clip from episode 16, where Dr. Lisa enlightens us about some of the nuances of the phenomenon. So imposter syndrome is the phenomenon where you don't internalize your skills, accomplishments, expertise, credentials, and as a result of that, you then fear being exposed as a fraud or in, incompetent in certain situations, especially high profile, high visibility situations. As a result of those experiences, you tend to either overwork or self-sabotage in a method of, of managing the performance anxiety. So it leads to all kinds of you know, things, including burnout, kind of insecurities about the, your actual performance, um, difficulty taking in positive feedback. Um, really having trouble managing sort of the internal things that go on around your performance. That's generally how it works. It's not a mental, a lot of people wonder if it's a mental illness, not a mental illness. It is just a phenomenon that exists um, for people who are typically very successful, high functioning, you know, have a lot of credentials are, and they're not an imposter, oddly enough, even though it's called the imposter's phenomenon. They're, they're no, nowhere near an imposter. You know, imposter syndrome comes from our early childhood experiences and the ways in which, you know, sometimes unbeknownst to our parents or caregivers, like they didn't, they weren't intending for this to happen generally, but, you know, they participated in somehow creating these levels of insecurities and, and inabilities for us to internalize these accomplishments and skills and strengths that we had. And I think that it's so important to, to really understand the dynamics that occurred because oftentimes we then get caught replicating them or engaging in them again if we don't understand them and rectify them. And so I think it is such a central component of dealing with imposter syndrome. A lot of people say, oh, imposter syndrome comes from social media. No, it doesn't. Um, it comes from your early history. Social media didn't do that to you. It's triggering you. It's triggering you. It, it is triggering, but it's not necessarily the origins of, of what has happened. And so I think it's so important to recognize the family dynamics and then be able to acknowledge them, acknowledge how they're connected to triggers, and then also be able to forgive and let go. 
And so there's a piece of that chapter, a piece of one of the chapters that's about the expressive letter. And that exercise is so hard. It's the hardest exercise in the book, where in essence, you have to write a letter to some of the people involved in constructing um, your imposter syndrome and outline sort of how it affected you in a very emotionally rooted way, right? You want, you have to deal with the feelings that come up. And then at the end of the letter, forgive them, read it to somebody else who you trust, not them, don't read it to them, read it to somebody you trust and, and then get rid of it. Um, it's, a, it's a symbolic way of, of acknowledging what you've been through, having somebody validate and witness that experience and then let it go as a method of getting, a method of moving on. And so I do think it's super important to deal with those origin issues. Um, and we, we tackle that in the best way we possibly can in that chapter. Um, there's clearly a lot to deal with, but I think it's, it's so important. I think it also, you know, is important to think about how also a therapist can be helpful in these situations. Like if you get to that chapter in the book and it feels too much, find a therapist, you know, find somebody to help you work through those components with you so that you don't just skip it and, and not deal with it because it is so central. Um, you know, and we see not only we've clearly when we developed the book, it came from our knowledge of research and also from our practice and what had worked effectively in our practice with helping people move the needle on their posture syndrome. So we know that it, it works, but we've done it. We've actually done a course um, on the book and we see when people actually do the letter and finish the letter and read it to somebody and get rid of it, the, the change is monumental. There's something that like switches in somebody having done that, that you see when, when other people have like not done that piece or wait longer, they're not getting the same kind of like light bulb that goes off. Um, it's a very hard process, but it, there's something about that letter and that exercise that just changes things. Yeah. Having this book and doing this work has been life-changing. I, oh, you know, that's, I love, uh, I can't tell you how much I love hearing that because that is why we did the book. The book was to change people's lives so that they can really sit in their greatness because, you know, I think you're, everything you say is right about like, it is hard and it's work and you have to be accountable. I think though on the other side, you will never be sorry you did the work. I am never sorry that I did the work. Never. The final clip from our highlights from season one is from episode 18 with the one and only Dr. John Paul. Dr. JP and I spoke about how self-acceptance and personal power are essential to living happily and how intentionally living in our truth can help people find theirs. Here's a clip from that conversation. I think it really comes down to this idea of like autonomy. Self-acceptance is really wrapped up in autonomy in the sense of saying, I want to be the person I want to be, even though the world has an expectation as to who I should be. And it really comes down to this idea of performance, right? Are you going to keep tap dancing for people who genuinely oftentimes don't care? Or are you going to dance and move to the beat of your own drum and make the music that really brings you joy? And I think, like I said, it took me a long time to get to this place, but I finally feel like I've, I've, I've understood the sound that's coming out of my drum. And I like that sound. And I'm moving with that sound, even though the world keeps trying to take the drumsticks from me. So I say all of this to say to get to the point, the question you ask is, why is it so important? I think self-acceptance is what keeps us here. It's what keeps us alive. It's what keeps us going. 
Um, it's what offers opportunities for other people to feel seen and valued. And I get all of the time, you know, I'll get people who will text me and say, you posted this and it helped me, or you said this on this podcast and it helped me, or you wrote this and it helped me and thank you. Or I'll even have people just randomly message me and say, your energy both online and offline is so inspirational. I appreciate you existing. And I'm just going, that's what self-acceptance is. Me learning to love every element of myself is giving other people the opportunity and the space to say that they can do the same thing. And so I think that that's what that truly meant for me. And I think that's been the biggest takeaway and the biggest piece of advice that I would give anybody who's going through kind of like, how do I learn to accept every element of myself? Accept the fact that you aren't perfect. That's a given. Nobody is. Maybe Beyonce. But that's a whole nother conversation for a different <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. But I would say, like, I think we really need to give ourselves more grace and start recognizing that a lot of the stuff that we feel about ourselves is sheer projection. I think that's the thing that I've taken away from therapy more than anything is really understanding that a lot of the stuff that I didn't like about myself was projection. I think the biggest thing when you talk about, like, what do I want people to know more than anything in my brand, I want folks to know you have the right to be happy. You have the right to hold joy in a very, very radical way. There's a certain joy that I carry with myself now. And I look at myself sometimes in the mirror and I say, I deserve to have that. If I want to have a good day and I want to make myself laugh by really talking about how terrible this world is and making a joke out of it, just so I can survive, that's what I'm going to do. And I think that's the thing I really want people listening to this to get, like, you deserve the right to be happy. I guess the question is, like, what does radical joy mean for somebody? And for me, that means being able to be happy even in moments when the world doesn't want me to. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Highlights from Season 1. I care deeply about my first-generation siblings and about building a community where we can learn, grow, and succeed. I'd like to thank everyone who sponsored episodes of LPDCast. The production of this podcast could not be possible without your support. Thank you for contributing to the growth and improvement of this podcast. I want to say a special thank you to the long-term sponsors of Season 1. My dear friend Deja from our Norco College days, thank you. My darling niece Ceci with a smile that lights up every room and a sense of humor that will make you wheeze. My dear friend Satera, special shout out to you for creating the original LPDcast logo and helping me name the podcast. You've been a thought partner since day one. I'd also like to thank my dear friend, engineer, and author Stephanie, and my best friend Cecily for always being in my corner. And to my amazing partner Bob, who supports me and loves me like no one else. Thank you, my darling. I love you. To all the listeners and friends of LPDCast, thank you for your support and engagement. Thank you for taking the time to listen to these impactful conversations and for sharing these episodes with your communities. Thanks for rating the podcast and especially for reaching out. I truly enjoy communicating with you. Knowing that this important information is reaching communities worldwide is incredible, and I'm so grateful to all of you. To our past and future guests, Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge with us. 
Thank you for giving us a glimpse into your lives and for helping us evolve into better versions of ourselves. The skills, habits, and resources you've shared serve as a roadmap for navigating personal and professional development as first-gen students with a myriad of identities and experiences. Speaking of future guests, here's a clip from episode one of season two, where I discuss financial strategies with Sari Ibrahim. That's the most important thing about choosing a financial planner. You never want to just choose a financial planner just because of, you know, how smart they appear or how good, quote unquote, how good you think they are. All those things are kind of in, in the moment irrelevant. It's mostly based off of how well you guys can connect and, and you have to be able to see that you have a long-term relationship together with the advisor. If it doesn't click from the beginning, it's probably not going to be a good relationship moving on. You're talking about money and kids and college savings and planning for the future. You need to be, it has to be with somebody you're comfortable with. Be sure to tune in to season two for more skills, habits, and resources for leadership, personal, and professional development. New episodes include navigating higher ed as an indigenous professor, financial wellness as a first-gen student, positive outcomes of service leadership, and so much more. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia, and I can be reached at lpdcast at gmail.com or at lpdcast on Instagram. For those interested in becoming a sponsor and receiving LPDcast merch, visit www.anchorfm forward slash lpdcast. Thank you for tuning in and supporting LPDcast.